Good morning. In each of those I am statements you just saw and that we see uh, every Sunday as we go through this series, uh, we need to recognize that Jesus is making a very, uh, very bold claim and a claim many would find offensive, that Jesus is God. The Jews knew that God is the I am, and many people today recognize the same. But what happens when you acknowledge God as a person and you challenge people to believe that the only and exclusive way to know God is to know Jesus? Well, that tends to upset people. It did back then, and it does now. That's why these statements are so powerful and so important. We're going to continue that today. Just as a reminder, we went through the first two of those I am statements already. I am the bread of life. And last week, Pastor Nancy shared, I am the light of the world. Today, we recall Jesus saying of himself, I am the gate. And that's closely tied with Jesus' statement about being the good shepherd, which you already heard, and uh, Pastor Nancy will be preaching on that next week. But we want to focus this Sunday, this day, specifically on what Jesus meant by calling himself the gate and what it means for us today. So to start, let me just ask you, how many of you are uh, shepherds by trade? Would you just raise your hand if, you're, if you handle any sheep? Maybe you're a retired shepherd, maybe? No? Nobody here is a shepherd? Well, maybe it would be a good idea for us to learn a little bit about the context uh, that Jesus was speaking about when we talk about Jesus as the gate. Maybe there are a few things we could learn about the cultural uh, uh, concept of shepherding in early Palestine. We should know a few things about sheep pens and shepherds and gates and gatekeepers, and they're all interconnected, and I'll try to share a little bit about that uh, now. In the first century, there were two types of sheep pens. There was ones in the village or town and ones in the open countryside. The pens in the village were very large. They could accommodate several flocks of sheep at one time, and they would include a large gate to allow those flocks to come and go. In these village pens, there would be employed a gatekeeper to watch over the animals overnight. And in the morning, the individual shepherds, whom the gatekeeper knew personally, would come and gather their own flocks. And I bet you could guess how that happened. How did the flocks know which shepherd to follow? Did you hear Pastor Nancy share with Jordan that the sheep know uh, the shepherd by the shepherd's voice, right? Each shepherd would call the sheep who only responded to the voice of their own shepherd. And then the shepherd would lead them out for the rest of the day. And as I said, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the Good Shepherd next week. The open country uh, sheep pen is a very different kind of setup. This pen would be a significant distance from the nearest village and would be set up in an open field. And the reason that is is because uh, 
in that area, the sheep would have to travel long distances to find uh, the right kind of fields uh, in which to graze and to find uh, water. And so these pens would be set up so that they wouldn't have to return to the village each night. So each of these pens is smaller. It's only big enough to fit usually one flock, which is usually between 30 and 50 sheep. The pens had walls of stone about three or four feet high, and it would make it very difficult for wolves and possibly thieves to cross, especially if they had a sheep in their mouth or one in their hands. In one wall, there was a single entry point. There was no gate, just a narrow opening. And the question is, why would you build a pen with an opening in it and no gate? And the answer, you probably know already, is that at the end of the day, the shepherd would herd the sheep into this country pen, or this, uh, uh, yeah, the out, in the out in the country, uh, into this pen, and then he would place himself in the opening. This is where the shepherd would sleep. And in the most practical sense, then, the shepherd becomes the gate. The shepherd is the gate for the sheep. Nothing can get in and nothing can go out unless they cross the body of the shepherd. No wolf, no thief can come in. They will have to encounter the protection the shepherd offers the sheep first. The only access to the sheep is through the shepherd. He protects the sheep and keeps them secure. He provides for the sheep by leading them out when it's safe to do so, so they can find food and water. And this is the context behind Jesus saying, I am the gate. Now, it's good to hear so all So how that. do Sometimes people go to heaven? To well, in answering this so very important question. Once we get some uh, audio with it too, and you can get a good visual, uh, visualization of what we're talking about here. So how do people go to heaven? Well, in answering this very important question, Jesus spoke figuratively about one of these, a sheep pen. So a sheep pen is made up of these stone walls that come together and form a narrow opening. So before evening sets in, the shepherd gets his flock into the protection of a sheep pen, and then he himself serves as the gate to a sheep by sitting or laying in this narrow opening so that nothing can get in and nothing can get out without going through the shepherd.
I hope that helps uh, a little bit getting uh, a clear picture of what Jesus was talking about. Uh, in each of those shots, they uh, showed uh, where the shepherd was. Uh, with the sheep, uh, if the sheep weren't going in and out, the shepherd was at, uh, at the doorway. The, sh the, the shepherd was the gate. So that's what Jesus was talking about. I want to talk about two different aspects of Jesus um, uh, being the gate. Uh, the first is something we can affirm every week during this series, but it's very explicit today. Actually, it's very explicit in each one of the I am statements uh, that Jesus is the only path to salvation. I'll be calling himself the gate, not a gate among others. He was self-identifying that he was the only legitimate way into the sheep pen, and that is to know God fully and to be in a saving relationship with him. In other words, to get to heaven. And as I said at the beginning of the sermon, this is a concept that I think many struggle with, even some who profess to follow Christ. Jesus is the only Savior, which is an exclusive statement. We know God loves each and every one of us, and such a message, a message of inclusivity raises the question of why, if God loves us so much, must there be only one way to be in true relationship with him? What about other religions and other faiths? What about other ways to find God? Well, my intent today is not to answer these questions, nor to argue the point, or even to try to convince you of its truth, all of which would be valuable to do. But instead, I simply want us to recognize that this is what Jesus says of himself. It's not something somebody else said. Jesus said it of himself. Pastor Nancy preached last week that one way of looking at these claims, and it's been shared in uh, by apologists uh, for many years is to recognize that just by the fact of Jesus saying uh, them makes him either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. The I am, he's either one of those, hopefully to you, he is the I am, exactly who he says he is. And each of us needs to make that choice. But if he is the I am, then no other there is no other. There is only one gate through which one can come into a saving relationship with God. That's what Jesus meant by saying, I am the gate. And it's interesting to note, if you read a little further, if Bob were to read a little further uh, into the whole section about the gate and the good shepherd, uh, this discourse ends in verse um, 19 saying, that those who were listening to Jesus had their own opinions about what he was saying. Uh, it says the people were divided in their opinions. Some did think he was a lunatic. In fact, some people said he was demon-possessed and out of his mind. Others believed him. And I think that's the same today. Jesus still holds out the offer to be in relationship with God through him. Some will take the offer. Unfortunately, others will not. That's the first uh, aspect of Jesus as the gate that I want to make clear. 
because Jesus made it clear about himself. The second meaning uh, of this gate is not solely about the path to salvation. Now, while it's clear that John is intent throughout his gospel to have the reader understand and accept the truth of Jesus as the one who brings eternal life, the Greek for what it means to be saved should be understand, understood more broadly, especially the context of verses 9 and 10. Once again, this is how they read. Jesus is speaking, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The additional meaning and second aspect of Jesus as the gate has to do with what it means to have a rich and satisfying life. Not only is salvation through Christ alone, but life found in and through him results in abundant life now. And that too, I think, is something we all seek. William Barclay's daily study Bible says this about those verses. Jesus claims that he came that people might have life and have it more abundantly. The Greek phrase used for having it more abundantly means to have a superabundance of a thing. To be a follower of Jesus, to know who he is and what he means, is to have a superabundance of life. When we try to live our own lives, life is a dull, dispirited thing. When we walk with Jesus, there comes a new vitality, a superabundance of life. It is only when we live with Christ that life becomes really worth living and we begin to live in the real sense of the word. So by definition, that means that life in Christ does not offer just a life that is sufficient, but more so one that is excessively, overly positive, safe, and secure. That's something that speaks to the here and now, not just to eternal security. It's not that we won't experience hardships along the way, I know you know that, but it does hold out the promise that life can be highly satisfying, that personal peace is available, and that we can live a life full of purpose and meaning in excessive quantities. Not only can we live with eternal assurance knowing Jesus as the gate, but also we can be ushered to places where our daily needs are met, our going out and coming in is kept secure, and our lives considered full, and when it's time to be called home to heaven. This is a felt need we all have. I don't think there's anyone in their right frame of mind who doesn't want that for themselves. Most people want to look back on their lives and want to be able to say that they lived a rich and satisfying life. Because Jesus is the gate and the good shepherd, that is not only possible, but it's promised. That is our very real hope. The best that life has to offer, super abundant life, 
overly satisfying life is found in none other in none other than Jesus Christ. His main purpose was the salvation and fullness of life for his sheep. It's not a promise that physical life should be extended beyond reason, nor is it a promise of an increase in wealth or possessions, nor anything like that. But rather, it is the certainty that a life lived in obedience is one that is lived at a higher level and with much greater satisfaction than the one that is not. This past Wednesday at our regular staff prayer meeting, we briefly discussed the terminology of failure to thrive. Have you ever heard of that term or that phrase, I should say, failure to thrive? It's a term used primarily in pediatrics to describe an infant or a child who is not gaining sufficient weight or not meeting uh, growth benchmarks. And it can happen in adults too. I think it's a good phrase, a good way for us to explain what the difference is between just living and living an overabundant, rich and satisfying life from a spiritual perspective. I know plenty of people who are living day to day but can be diagnosed with failure to thrive. God doesn't want us just to plod our way through life with our heads down. He wants us to thrive, to prosper, to succeed, and to flourish. And he's made a way for us to do that spiritually, which then impacts our daily living. And that way is through the gate. So I'm thinking it would be helpful if we're going to embrace what it means to live a full, rich, and satisfying life through Jesus the gate, maybe we should make a list. And that list should include a list of gates that we have tried that lead not to safety, security, and abundant pasture, but to some much lesser fulfilling alternative. How many times have we tried these gates only to find that what we were looking for beyond them is not there? How many times have we tried to rely on some form of substitute promise? Are you currently standing in the middle of a pasture you'd rather not be? Could it be that you used the wrong gate? Maybe it doesn't characterize your entire life, but maybe you've tried one or two that didn't work out so well. Here's the good news. Hindsight is always 2020, and God allows do-overs. The kind of life Jesus the gate offers is one of overflowing forgiveness and followed up with perfect guidance, especially for those who are prone to wander. Am I talking to anybody this morning? We all know there are days when we are distracted, when we're sure an alternative approach is the one that will work this time, right? We end up with little strength, without safety or protection, wandering 
like lost sheep. But Jesus is the gate, and if we will trust him, this gate will lead to life overabundant and eternal life beginning now. Jesus said, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Jesus came that all may have an overabundance and excessive amounts of grace, peace, love, life, and salvation. If you're looking for those things in one area or another of your life, well, you've heard the I am statement for today. Jesus is the gate. He'll keep your going in and your coming out. He can give you what you seek and offers what God most wants for each of us, a rich and satisfying life. Trust him and his promise.